Recorded live across the 48th parallel, it's Transformation Thursdays. My name is Natalie Walker in British Columbia, Canada, and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Amy Stevens, and I'm still in Rochester, New York in the U.S. of A because that's where I live. And my pronouns are she, her as well. Today, my co-host and guest is Natalie Walker. We met at G&B Comedy in London, England. Being virtual North American neighbors, we did what every comic does. We became Facebook friends. However, as the pandemic locked down everything, Natalie found herself back in British Columbia, and we continue to keep in touch. In, in fact, if by some small stroke of luck, she gets across the border and makes it to Rochester on July 28th, I'll give her stage time in the show Transformation Thursday is producing that evening. So come on, Prime Minister Trudeau, help a couple comics out, will you, bro? Well, before we discuss my plans of sneaking across the border and ending up on another watch list, we'll be right back after this message. This is Jamie Rodriguez, the General Counsel of the Transformation Thursday Podcast Network, here to remind you that Transformation Thursday is copyrighted material, all rights reserved, 2021. You can support Transformation Thursday by leaving the podcast a five-star rating and writing a short review on Apple Podcasts. It's free and helps get Transformation Thursday out to a larger audience. On Twitter and Instagram, follow us at TransThursPod. On Facebook, you can follow the podcast by searching for Transformation Thursday Podcast. Welcome back to Transformation Thursday. I'm Natalie Walker. And again, my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Amy Stevens and my pronouns are she, her as well. Natalie, we've been talking about this for a little bit and here you are. And I'm, so, I'm so excited. So I. I mean, you <laughs> took the night off of work to spend time with me. I'm so honored. Thank you. I mean, we're in the middle of a heat wave. I probably would have been sent home for heat stroke anyways. <laughs> well, you say heat wave. So in, in, um, Canadian units, how how hot is it there in, in southern British Columbia right now? Uh, currently where I am, we are sitting at 42 degrees Celsius, which for the Americans is somewhere around 105 or 106. Oof, that is just brutally awful. Oh, it's bad. It's rough. Very rough. How, what are you doing to stay cool in that weather? Uh, well, I have all, so I have all my first aid training. My background was in cardiology before. But mostly the only thing you really can do is stay hydrated. And if you can get in the water, my sister has an outdoor pool, which is where I landed during the pandemic, living with family again. That's been an interesting transition, but we've got an outdoor pool and that's where I've been spending uh, a majority of the last couple of days. Is it even comfortable? I mean, is it cool or is it just like room temp at this point? Uh, it was bathwater warm when I got in, but there was so much evaporation. I actually had to refill it. It's so hot here. I have the so much of the pool water evaporated. I had to refill the pool and now it's nice and chill. What's like the humidity there? That must be pretty low if it's evaporating that quickly. It is. So um, I can look it up. I don't know what the humidity is actually sitting at. I know it's sitting low. So I'm just outside of an area in Canada that would be considered um, like the desert of Canada. That's when you get further inland to like the Kelowna, Soyuz area, wine country. Here it's dry. Like it's dry enough that we've had a couple of spontaneous fires and that this weekend, I'm sure there's going to be a bigger one in the interior. Like I can't, I would say it's probably close to the same dryness you would get in LA, right? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I'd, LA can be drier. It can be humid depending on the winds, but once you get off the, yeah, once you get into the mountains, like the San Bernardino mountains, definitely. Yeah. That's dry. Yeah. There. So when you're, yeah, when you're in the San Bernardino, it's not quite as dry as say like Las Vegas. Yeah. 
But yeah, outside of that main LA area into those mountains, it's probably a similar humidity here. Gotcha. Very yeah, dry. It's very dry. Yeah. It's like a fine wine. If you go that way. Yeah. Oh, we can talk about a little more full body. Yeah, we can we can talk about um which way we which ways we go later. I mean, but so so you're in London. Did you come home before the pandemic or is it everything was locking down? I'm I'm trying to it seems like if so memory so, serves so, me right, it was like February of 2020. Yeah, so home? um I came home on February 18th and the Brighton outbreak had literally been announced within a day or two of my leaving was when they announced the first outbreak in the UK. So we knew it was coming. And that was actually something I think they missed here a bit in the West is the COVID coverage didn't really start until February, March. But I remember hearing about it when I was in London as early as the fall, like you had some of that news rolling out of the East and it was on their radar, but no one was really thinking it would come that far until that Brighton outbreak. And that was when they're like, oh shit, it's here. And I was like, peace. And I came back to Canada. Now, did you live in Brighton or were you in London? I no, I was living in London. Okay. But Brighton's but, not far away. Oh, no, it's a it's a four-hour train ride. That's a day trip. Yeah. No, I've done the day, that day trip a couple times. Yeah, say I was at the Brighton Fringe with a, a comedian. So when I moved to London, I actually moved there with another comedian, sort of. I followed him there. I was chasing, as uh, people like to say, I was chasing skirt. Okay. Yeah. Didn't, didn't work out. I was going to say, yeah, that usually doesn't work out for most people cosmic timing we ran into each other two days into my being back into Canada a girlfriend took me out for drinks and we ended up at the bar where him and I had had our first date oh, oh yeah so I'm sitting out I'm standing outside and I'm having a cigarette and I tell her to go in find a table meet up with the people we're there for I go inside and no one knows who he is and lo and behold they're sitting right next to him and he oh it was it was the ultimate of cosmic timings it was so weird but we reconnected, which was good because he's actually fairly well known in this area. So it would have been bad to have been kind of blackballed in that way. Because when comedy comes back, it's better to be on his good side because he's well known here. He's well liked. And I do quite like him. I'd like to be his friend. So, well, that's cool. So, yeah. can you get me on a show after the border opens? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I will. Yeah, you can yeah. come on my road show. Well, I'm just going to travel yes. up, and, up and down Canada. That's all I want to do now. Well, we, we were talking about that. So you have this roadshow idea. So let's let's talk about, you know, what's 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 in the plans for Natalie here with your roadshow, your living situation, you know. <laughs> I feel like I'm just gonna become um a professional hippie, I guess. I don't know. I want to so I want to travel Canada. I, one of my favorite things about travel is just meeting new people, getting to know them. Everyone has stories. Yeah. Right. And the best way to get to know people is to sit down, have a drink with them, talk to them. And I want to do it across Canada. Just want to see everything, meet all of the people, learn all of the things. So I may or may not have had some recent conversations with somebody in my life who's talked about doing something similar, but instead of a renovating an RV like you are, a 21 by eight RV, right? Yeah, I'm renovating a 21 by eight feet uh, trailer. It is a, if you want to look it up, the floor plan, it's a 99 Mallard 19N. Love it. So you, oh, it's, um, it was not the best thought out floor plan. Like when you look at other people who are doing a similar thing, the trailers that they're converting already have like a floor plan that makes sense. Yeah. But because mine is so small and you're jamming a kitchen, living room, bedroom, and bathroom into this tiny, tiny space, 
you have to decide what your give and take is. Are you looking it up? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can see her looking at her screen typing things. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, I'll put a link in. I'll put a link in for that. No. Yeah. So I've torn out what was um, the dinette. I personally hate dinettes that come with RVs. The table oh, is always awful. slightly too yeah. high for anyone to use. And I'm not a short person. I'm five, seven. I'm average height for a woman. And it's always slightly too high. The seats are uncomfortable. So I just tore it out and I bought a $5 armchair at a secondhand store. <laughs> and uh, my mom had this tiny wooden chest that I'm converting into a lift desk. So you just put hardware in it and then the top will lift up to be a proper working desk. And then you put it down and it's a coffee table again. I want pictures. I will say, I actually, I have pictures of the artwork I've put on the desk. I'll send them to you later. Sweet. Do you mind if I put them in our Facebook group? No, totally. Our, I can awesome. send you pictures of some of the stuff I've done. Taking a sledgehammer to a trailer, by the way, is very cathartic. Do you have, oh, that'd be, <laughs> do you have video of that? No, I actually <sighs> keep meaning to, but so it's like, it's 30 degrees when I'm doing this. So I'm like in a sports bra and itty bitty shorts tucked up inside this thing with a sledgehammer it's not I need it's to not be, as attractive I, as people would think it would be it's not builder yeah, but, porn trust me but yeah but you know people in sports bras and short shorts you know I need the views okay yeah okay well oh you know what I've been contemplating and only fans we'll see <laughs> you Demo- gotta do what you gotta do to make money that's right demolition hey no judgments here okay you, right. you, you do what you got to do to make money. No, yeah. You know, so yeah, traveling across country, renovating an RV, yep. you know, um, I, you know, we've discussed, you know, you know, with the, with my partner, you know, the school van, you know, not school van, excuse me, the school spread, bus, the school bus doing, doing the schooly thing. And so, I mean, I share that similar dream, you know, yeah. and so, you know, having that freedom and flexibility to travel and meet people and see, and see our countries, because, you know, We've talked about traveling in the U.S., up through Canada, Alaska, all that stuff. So, I mean, well, when some you do beautiful like, territories. Oh, yeah. And when you do what we do, right, are like going and suing different comedy shows and everything, it's easier if you can take that home with you instead of yeah. living out of hotels. It's you're still going from place to place, but at least you have that piece of comfort to come back to. I haven't done a full tour yet my, the extent of my touring has really been just touring different clubs in the cities that I've lived in. So this, uh, if, when, when this gets off the ground, this will be probably my first like official real cross Canada tour, which would be really awesome actually. So, well, if you get to Niagara or, you know, GTA, greater, greater Toronto area, which I will, my aunt. Yeah. I have a lot of family out in that area. So I have to stop and see them eventually in Niagara or GTA. In not well, so they're in Sault Ste. Marie, so they're kind of south of the oh, Toronto area. Sault Ste. Marie's up north, is it? Yeah, so Saint, they're that's they're up in the on general the general area of southern Toronto. No, yeah, no, <laughs> that's like nine hours from southern me. Ontario. That's what I meant to say. Southern yeah, they're in Ontario. Ontario. <laughs> Sault Ste. Marie is up on the it border, like there's Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, and Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, and so it's, it's on the St. Mary's, it's on the St. Mary's River, and it connects. Lake Huron to Lake Superior. Yeah, see, I've never, I haven't been that far east in Canada. And it's actually, so Sault Ste. Marie falls into that territory we were talking earlier of, yeah, my grandmother's people. And that's where a lot of my aunts live and and stuff. 
with big air quotes, those people are? So my grandmother was Ojibwe. She, okay. um, she committed suicide when I was very, very young. I was less than one years old. So I don't have a lot of really close personal ties and I've been learning a lot more, but the issues that are coming up here in Canada with the indigenous are very near and dear to my heart. And I hope that the government listens to them as opposed to kind of just taking this stance of we'll have that day of silence and then we'll all just move on because that's not what's going to bring any of this to a proper closure. I want to come back to this on a couple of different levels here mm-hmm. and, and talk about this from a couple of different angles. But I, but I also want to put a period on the end of traveling across Canada. Yes. That stretch, though, from like Thunder Bay to Sault Ste. Marie is some amazing country. Yeah. I mean, it, and I've done that drive from Duluth, Minnesota, around the North Shore to, to Sault Ste. Marie. It, it's so that it's area, beautiful. Yeah. It's called the Canadian Shield. It's one of the yep. few areas with like the real boreal forests and everything. And I want to see it because Canada is also one of the few countries kind of left that has a lot of that untamed wilderness. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, I hit the wrong button. That's okay. I, I want like that. I don't know what it was about the development of Canada, but a majority of our population is concentrated within about a hundred kilometers of the American border, and then everything kind of between that. And the territories up north, which are even more sparsely populated, is pretty open and pretty empty. Like it's been left the way it was. Well, and I've I've heard a stat like 80% of the Canadian population lives less than 200 miles from the United States border. Yes, I have heard that exact same one. That I heard that back when I was in high school from one of my teachers. And I looked it up and it was a majority. So that's actually one of the things that during the Cold War was a big worry for Canada was if something had happened our entire population lives close enough that if you go we go (laughs) welcome to the club yeah right like (laughs) we're tied to the states no matter what yeah so let's let's come back to you know the indigenous stuff so you know we're talking about that so you know your grandmother you know dies by suicide um be in the mental health field that i'm going into right now we're moving away from that word commit yes um so you know die by suicide because commit seems like criminals commit crimes and i think suicide not that i think i know suicide is more of a a, it's a mental health issue it's not yeah it's not a crime issue so just verbiage wise sorry i'm not trying to but that's no that's okay it's it's a learning experience right language changes and you have to change with it but there's a couple things here i think when we're talking indigenous people we're also talking suicidality and and attempts and also you know a successful one in the case of your family. So, but that's, that's generational trauma. It is. And that's is when, you know, someone who is indigenous and this has been coming out a lot is for every indigenous person, you know, is first, second or third generation survivor of these schools and of the program that colonizers. And I am a colonizer as well, right? I'm mixed. I'm very white presenting, but when they come over, it's, they're survivors of the program that was brought with them to get rid of this indigenous population so that they could take over the area and the land and the resources. So you say program and that's for an American, that's, that's a new, I can imagine what that is, but when you're saying that as a Canadian indigenous person and a colonizer, you know, because you carry both sets I'm of both. Yep, you're <laughs> it's both, a weird, but- like It's a weird position, especially right now. 
But what does that term, the program, mean specifically? So it's, I, it's very it's okay. similar to what happened in Australia. The missionaries and the colonizers go to the country and they start up the residential schools. And the program is essentially taking the children, the easily, like the easily manipulated minds, separating them from their culture. And then the ones who are more easily led, you basically convince them that their culture is evil and you remove their language. You remove everything that identifies them as the people that they were and you try to make them like you. And so they did it with the 60 scoop, the residential schools, like the area I'm living in is actually just a few blocks away from where I am now was the last residential school to close in 1993. 93? There was, yeah, there are cases of forced sterilization to the indigenous population here in Canada into the 80s, the 1980s. I was born in the 80s. That like we're not talking about something that happened hundreds of years ago. We're talking no. about something that happened to people who are still alive. And and you know, and there wasn't it near you in British Columbia too, where the residential school was. Yes, so that was Kamloops. That's about a four-hour drive away from where I am now. That was the first school where they found the remains from the unmarked graves. And I don't people shouldn't be surprised. And the indigenous no. population weren't surprised, they're grieved, yes. But the like surprise isn't what they were experiencing. They, you know, from the survivors that there was a lot of people who the deaths were unrecorded. The, the amount of children that just kind of like went missing in air quotes there, right? And even there's problems right now with the mission school is they're refusing to release their records until they can sort out the misinformation, which just makes them feel very suspect. It's uh. And a lot of the white population, the colonizers, like they were surprised at the, they're like, how do you just get away with having all of these unmarked graves? It's like, ah, when you really think about it, guys, it ain't that hard if you're the same people who are raising these kids and burying the rest of the population. How hard is it to? Very hard to listen to. It is. And as when you listen to the survivors, and that's who people should be listening to is the survivors and the nations, every nation that says that they want the investigation done, and it's not invasive, it's an ultrasound technology, it does not damage the land. Every nation that is asking for that investigation to be done into the schools that they were there for, like, that should just be covered by the government. It's not an unreasonable ask. No, and when you say nation, you're talking First Nation in yes, Canada. The first, we, and there's, we, yeah. would re- we would refer to it as, you know, um, you know, reservation governments or something down here along yeah. or Indian or tribes or so a little different in vocabulary, but I want to make sure we're communicating this accurately. And there, there's similar stuff here in the States too. I mean, the Mormon church ran a program and took indigenous kids out of their homes and placed them in nice, wholesome, delight, white families. I was having this conversation earlier with a girlfriend. She is a, she's Christian now, but she grew up Mormon. And it was, it was a big thing in the Mormon church. They'd be like, look, these kids are starting to lighten because the love is coming into them and God is making them lighter. And it's just, no, they're just not spending as much time outdoors because you don't let them interact with people. Maybe, I don't know, but it's not something you can point at to be. Early editions of the Book of Mormon refer to the indigenous populations as the Lamanites. And the lost tribe was the Nephites. I mm-hmm. spent 20 years as an ex as a Mormon, so before I came out, so I'm very familiar with this. So, yeah, this was part of their Lamanite project. So they were gonna, and there's actually the 
parts that we're talking about have hence been removed from the Book of Mormon because they don't want to seem like racist now. You know, because it was not, so acceptable back in the day. Ex- exactly. But there's, oh. but there's actually the verbiage was in the Book of Mormon, and it's even alluded to now in the current editions, like the Lamanites by their good behavior, hearkening to God, would become white and delightsome like these other folks. Yeah. So that whole verbiage is old school Mormon doctrine. Yeah. But then that's also colonization and this. And when you were talking about that earlier, the only, I mean, this is literally trying to whitewash indigenous people. It is. So the, like the phrasing in Canada was that they wanted to breed the native out of them or breathe back then it would have been breed the savage out of them. And one of the things, and that's part of what the sterilization program, honestly, this is probably a bit of my opinion, but the sterilization program is the ones that you couldn't bring to the Western ideas. Those are the ones that you then removed the option of having kids. We can't tame you. Then we're just going to make it so you can't. Well, yeah, I think that is an opinion if we don't have anything to back it up. No, without, and I, some, like, without some documentation, but I've always used this term. It passes a sniff test. If you say that, it's like, yeah, that seems like that. Yeah. Like that, that one is one that logically that checks out. And because we do have evidence that there was forced sterilizations when you went to the, like when they were taken to the schools, right? That one isn't in question. That happened. Yep. The reasoning behind why it happened is what is up for debate. And can you get access to those old records, those old, any type of minutes or meeting notes from any type of these organizations that- And that's what a lot of the people, yeah. And that's what a lot of the leaders and the people who are coming forward and the survivors, they're asking for those documents to finally be released to the public, right? There's so many freedom of information acts you can file really. And they're asking for all of those documents from those schools to be released so that people can look at them and see what really happened, what was recorded. Don't you think there are families out there even still today that would want to know what happened to their children? Absolutely. 100% families, brothers, sisters, kids who were separated, right? And there's lots of people who like maybe don't even know where they came from. They're a residential school survivor and they have trouble reconnecting. Yeah. You lose your, like they lost their name. They lost their people. They lost their language. And, you know, we talk about this, you know, when people have a hard time, a lot of people say, well, you know, this, I didn't do this to them. I don't know why that group of people, you know, but in countries like ours, Canada and the United States, yeah, we built these systems of oppression to eliminate these tribes. Yes. And, and to system- force, to, sorry, to force people under reservations to isolate them. And it had a term here in the United States. I don't know if you have the similar term in Canada, but manifest destiny. The white people came to this country and their goal was to go from east to west. And that was, as white people, that was our right. And so- Um, Manifest destiny is a very American thing. We do learn about it up here in Canada, but we learn about it in the sense of, um, have you heard the term 5440 or fight? No, that's a new one to me. So that was one that came out from America and it was part of Manifest Destiny is they also believed that not only going east to west, but they should be able to come all the way up to the 54th parallel. That beats the south of Edmonton. Yep. So that was another. So that was actually a big one. And that was one of the things that helped 
It was one of the things that actually did bring the indigenous and the colonizers together for a little bit in Canada was they did help fight alongside when there was the wars between Canada and the U.S. in like 1812 and all of that. Well, and that doesn't get a lot of historical background here in the United States. Oh, it gets a lot. So it does get quite a bit up here, depending on where you go to school. So I learned about those wars um, in more depth back when I was in high school, like the burning down of the White House and everything. Well, we, we were also talking before we started recording about Vancouver Island and those whole islands out there, there were wars fought over those islands. Oh, absolutely. When they first came over here, there was wars fought over the islands and there's still dis- there's still disputes over which islands belong to who. And then when you throw Australia or when you throw Alaska, your guys' this little northern state attached to Canada, like Yeah, because that's a real little one. Exactly, yeah. Right. And you get and even the northern islands, there's dispute about who is properly in control of those. Well, I I yeah. It's an interesting, when you get into all of the smaller pieces of land off of Canada, it's interesting to see who believes that they own that land and who should own that land and who currently is on the land. Yeah, no, that's a whole nother political conversation. But, you know, but when you look at the War of 1812 and a lot of people don't understand, you know, the really big historical significance between you know, our country, you know, the United States and Canada. I mean, but since that war, I mean, yeah, it's the largest, you know, it's a big, long, peaceful border for the most part, but there's a lot of blood, sweat and toil. And, you know, and I live in an area that actually has a lot of War of 1812 markers, but I live close to the Erie Canal here in Rochester, New York. Yeah. And the original plan for that canal was to run it from Albany up to Oswego, New York on Lake Ontario. And it would have been something like the Ontario Canal. Mm-hmm. But the reason why they ran it to ran it over to Lake Erie was because of Canadian and Royal Navy activity on the Great Lakes before the Niagara River. So that way the gunships you could run that commerce south and avoid the gunships on the Great Lakes. Yeah, like Canada doesn't like to talk about it, but we do. We've got a bit of a mercenary past in a lot of places. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah but- and I think ultimately it ended up between Canada and the U.S. being one of those, like, we'll just agree to stay on our side of the line. You agree to stay on your side of the line. Don't burn our White House down again, and we'll be okay. Well, yeah, and after, you know, our War of Independence, and then you take a look at, you know, the War of 1812, you had a lot of, you know, royalists or loyalists that were loyal to the crown that ended up in Canada. And that's actually where some of our early political parties come from, right? Is you had um, the predecessor to like the liberal parties were the people that wanted to separate from the royals. You had the predecessors to the conservatives were the loyalists right? They wanted to maintain connections with the crown. And even today, we're still considered a Commonwealth country. And it wasn't until World War One that we were allowed to decide whether or not we wanted to go to war with Britain the next time they decided to go to war with someone else. So World War Two was the first time Canada got to make that choice on their own. Yay! Woo! Yeah. No, and I mean, so the, it, it's an interesting, you know, people, you know, people down here in the United States don't understand much about Canada. You know, well, this. I did a, so I did a show on residential school awareness week. I've rewritten Carly Rae Jepsum's Call Me Maybe to be about what happened when the colonizers came over and just like 
it's meant to be both educational and basically kind of like a little bit of a flipping the bird to the colonizers kind of thing. And whenever I did that show in Europe and especially in London is no one knew what a residential school was there. They are not educated in what they did when they went to other countries, which I found uh, a bit bizarre, actually. Yeah, no, they, they don't really, yeah, they don't understand a lot of that complicated history there. Yeah, I think they get taught about what happened between the British and uh, the Indian government, because it's very hard to avoid that one. But they don't get taught a lot about what happened when the British came over to the Americas. Hey, real quick, I'm just going to take a pause here real quick, because your internet is kind of bouncy. Where were we? We were talking about the War of 18. We went a weird direct. We were talking yeah, about we the were War of 1812. And we're back. <laughs> it is we're back crazy. with the War of 1812 in our commentary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it during that time, that really, really tumultuous early time in Canadian history, is I think a lot of people forget just how much the people, like the nations over there, the Ojibwe, the Cree, like how much they helped the Canadians like with all of that and then suddenly the Canadians like okay we don't need you anymore I'm like yeah but we helped you like you know so with pro quo you'll you'll be nice and they're like mm. no <laughs> we'll be our definition of nice yeah but that's kind of like the history of white people in general with colonization and you know appropriation and you know we'll use you until we don't need to use you anymore and then we're going to abuse you and try to and we'll continue you. to take those pieces that we really enjoy. Like yeah. totem like totem poles. Yes, and uh, white girls wearing feathered headdresses at music festivals after being asked repeatedly not to. Yeah. Well, and like, you know, and you look at different things. So, you know, you've you so how do you how do you mentally wrap your head around I'm a colonizer, I have that heritage in me, but then also I also have this first nation background. And how do you how do you reconcile those two parts of your, you know, identity as you've come to understand your family history? So um, it's been getting, it's different kind of now. I started doing the residential school uh, Memorial Week show because I like, because it just seemed like something that people were really starting. And I mean, now they're not forgetting it, but it seemed like something that people were really starting to just kind of like push to the back burner. And there is a lot of racism in Canada. We don't want to admit it, but it's here. There's a lot of racism against, especially the indigenous population. It's against a lot of the people of color that live here. And the best way to dismantle that system is to talk about it and to promote those artists and to promote people of color and to promote talking about these issues in a way that is not accusing anyone, but is being like, we need resolution and how do we find resolution in a system where we cannot give you back your things anymore, right? We can't just hand you back an entire country. We can find a way of going back and doing that. That would be great, but you can't. You can't go back in time and take it back. So the only thing you can do is move forward. And to move forward, you need to acknowledge that shit happened and it was bad and these people were hurt. You don't get to decide whether or not someone was hurt. All you get to do is decide where do you go from here? Well, Nick, it's in, like, we talk about this in the United States, you know, reparations, yeah. you know, for the black community. And, you know, you could even make that same argument for native populations here in, in Canada. And, 
But what, you know, and that goes back to what I said a little bit ago about people saying, you know, I didn't do this to them. Our generation didn't do this to them. You know, those people are long gone, but. But the but systems are still here. The systems are still there. These things still, t- this is multi-generational trauma. Yeah. That when you look at DNA and, you know, and understand the neurobiology of things. Trauma can be passed on through. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It affects you. It, it affects you and affects the stories that you hear from your elders, from other people in your communities. That's why you still have in Brooklyn, New York, and other places around the world, very conservative, ultra-Orthodox Jewish communities that are trying to replace the 6 million Jews that were lost during the Holocaust. And so this, this has, you know, so what we've done to indigenous and other peoples of colors and other you know, people that were othered by colonizers that yeah. they'd be. And whatever. I mean, if we can get if we can get a majority of the countries of the world involved in defeating a nation who does something like the Holocaust, then those same countries should be able to turn back around and look at themselves and be like, hey, we fucked up. Oh no. We definitely need to address what we've been doing. But that's not the way like, it works. Uh, that's the way I would hope. Well, and it's also like you go to war to fight down fascism and then you come home and it's the 1960s so it's only 15 years since that war ended and you decide to organize this huge coup overnight where you take thousands hundreds of thousands of kids from their parents and put them into these residential schools like you're just replace the word residential school with something else it's 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 shameful and there should be some sort of reparation there there needs to be a better acknowledgement from the government's that you know represent us in those matters so and i think i think a good first step and it's what a lot of the nations up here are asking for is to have the schools investigated and to find the rest of the missing anyone who is a family member of a missing person will tell you not knowing is the worst i didn't think this interview would go this way You thought it'd be more fun. We can yeah. go, we'll go on to other topics. We just, where, where do we, here. where do we go next? Where do you want to go next, Natalie? Yeah, well, I mean, I really, I'll be honest. I really want, I really want ice cream. Like yeah. I'm going to go DoorDash after this. I don't, uh, where do we go next? We can talk about our actually converting a school bus is going to be easier for you than converting an RV has been for me. Cause lots of people are doing the school bus conversions. You have so many plans to work from. That so yeah, so what, so what, so what we've discussed is a thirty-foot um, school 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 bus, and the uh, the reason why is because what I've been told by her is that thirty bus, thirty-foot RV trail or whatever for a lot of national parks in the United States, that's like the limit of what you can get in, like lengthwise. Okay. So if you want to hit a lot of the national parks here in the states, you got to be. At 30 feet or less and maybe that's not every national park but you know maybe some of the smaller off the beat ones well that's probably the limit for if you want to park and potentially stay at the park like their limit for length as far as parking there and staying for overnights yeah so yeah so that's been part of the conversation that we've had you know and you know but then you start looking at a school bus here in the states like you know maybe you know a school bus that's around 20 years old you know 30 feet long five six grand and then you go from there and you start tearing out and doing what you need to do with it from what i understand oh, right? the tear out is the most fun yeah the, the, the part that scares me is like if she ever comes back and says you know what we need to lift the roof i'm gonna be like uh-uh. 
No. So what I've seen people do with buses is instead of lifting the roof, what they'll do is, um, I don't know if it's removable or not, but I've seen people build decks on top. Yep. I've seen that too. Yep. On different videos. So yeah. So usually you have a deck by the back where you can yeah. put a couple chairs on, you know, you can sit up there and then like in the middle and the front part, you have the solar panel. So I think in, that's kind of where, you know, as I look at this and I do my YouTube investigations, it's like, okay, I think I'm going to end up being the electrical end up running. Yeah. The- I've been looking into the, I've been looking into the solar panels and I'm just, I haven't done enough research yet. I know that solar panels have come a long way. I haven't done enough research yet to find one that I'm comfortable with as far as moving them. Cause I don't want to have to take them cause I'm alone. You're going to be living with a partner. I don't want to have to be doing all of the work of putting them up and taking them down. On my no, own. you it's can leave a lot. You, you can leave them up there now. I mean, okay. you can yeah, uh, I have to look into the ones that are easier for like mobility. Um, my brother sent me a link of some on Amazon that are real easy. And I know a bunch of his friends that live in the Seattle area actually use them for um, their boats and Marines. So because even a lot of that, you know, you want, you know, if we're talking about living sustainably and living off grid and doing those type of things, you know, you want to get to the point though, where electrical wise, you can be pretty much self-sufficient where you don't have yeah. to plug in all the time. I've seen that. I've actually saw one really cool thing and I want to look more into it because I didn't, I just saw the video. I was like, that's actually pretty cool if that works. And I haven't done more digging yet, but it was basically a flywheel that you could use in water. And then it comes with also a set of fans that you can put on it. So it's wind or water power, depending on where you are. I was like, that's actually good, especially for my inner survivalist comes out. But the trailer ties in a lot to how I want to reconcile like the indigenous and colonizers because I want to travel across Canada because my grandmother's people are from Southern Ontario. I would love to go and stay with my aunts and my cousins and get to know them there and like learn more about where she came from. No, and then you should do that, especially, you know, if you have the the means and the ability to do it, definitely. And I'm not that far from Southern Ontario. So I'm just going to keep reminding you, you know, make sure you make sure you send me that message when you're going to be in the area and the borders open again. And well, I think that like, honestly, I think that's also a great way to take down a lot of those walls that come up between people is if you want to know more about these issues, especially if you want to know more about the indigenous in your area, a lot of their meetings and a lot of their get-togethers are open. They're open to the public, most of them. You can go, you can see the powwows, you can watch the dance, you can buy the products, you can speak with the people. Well, and you know, we talk about indigenous cultures here in North America. And, you know, since we do talk about gender-related things on this podcast every once in a while, People, you know, a lot of conservative folks will say, well, there's no such thing. There's only two genders. None of this shit's ever been heard of before. Oh, that's like, a lie. I'm like, Lies. I'm like, um, that's because you're only paying attention to white European colonizing history. No, a lot of the indigenous recognized other genders or like you have the idea of the two-spirited. It's not Which really it an idea. Was, it's an identity. Well, and that's, and that's, a, and that's, and that's not a universal term within native cultures. No, that's, each each language and each culture is going to have their own, but that's pretty much just white people saying, well, let's just call that two spirits. Yeah. I have a friend who identifies as two spirits and he is from the local nation um, from where he lives. And I, oh, I cannot for the life of me remember. And I know he has told me this is years ago, okay. but every, yeah, every nation is different. Like you even look at the South American a lot of those nations have their own versions of what it would be to be two-spirited or people 
um, people who are male who inhabit more of a feminine spirit. Like there are examples across the world of more than just the single two gender dichotomy. Well, in you know, we're just going to use the term two spirit here, but if you look at a lot of cultures around the world that have some sort of recognition of two spirited folks, these people are revered. Yes. Many were believed to have special powers. They were believed to carry with them both the masculine and the feminine. Like they were seen as powerful people within their, like within their people, they weren't feared then the no, way that we have this weird fear about it now well and i mean i would have from what i in the limited reading that i've done on this topic these people were revered because they had special insight to not only their specific situation as a third gender fourth whatever it is but also because they could understand masculinity and femininity and blend that together in a way that was very special and unique from other people yeah so I got that right? Yes. Okay. Everyone's I was, like, sorry, I was just thinking, you know, there, there's a really great pop culture reference. Um, I don't know if anyone has ever read the book. There's a sci-fi called Death Worlders, and it's about humanity's first contact with others, like with other aliens and just the way it goes down. It's quite good. I enjoy it, but they run into this one. Um, there's this one alien species and they have a singer and she goes through the rights of manhood and the rights of the women, because that is her whole point of the tribe is to join both together and it was it was drawn from a lot of those tribes having shamans and having spiritual leaders who were two-spirited or who inhabited both of those places yeah and i have when i started coming out you know four plus years ago now i thought maybe i get to a point where i'm gender fluid or i actually called it two-soul because i didn't feel comfortable claiming some sort of two-spirit because i have no indigenous you know, background whatsoever. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm 100% colonizer. Um, so I never felt comfortable appropriating two spirit, even though that's not a universal term with an indigenous, I always said two soul because I, that soul is a Western religion type of thing. And so, but I, but even now, you know, and I can feel like, even though Amy, myself, I'm out, I'm doing my thing. Yeah. But he's still in there. Yeah, like, you don't fully you I don't think you can fully get rid of your past self. No, and you know, and I don't I mean, and I'm just saying he for the purpose of you know the sake of you know understanding in this text of conversation, you know. Yeah. You know, there's and every in once your in a while past life, you were this like, person and now you're yeah, and I mean, and Amy was always there, and I, and I knew I was there, and, you know, and it's just like, but now instead of Amy being in the background, it's like, I've taken over, and, you know, here I am. Yeah. And so it's there, but I have unique perspective on the world that I think very few people get to have. And yeah. it makes me see and understand things differently from a perspective, and it makes me understand the privilege I retain as a white person, the privilege I've lost as somebody who's transitioned from being perceived as a male to living my life authentically as myself. And so it's a very interesting dynamic that I think very few of us get to understand. Well, yeah, you've, you've lived the dichotomy on both sides now. 
So you get to see it from both sides. Whereas I'm a cis woman, I won't live the other half. That's just yeah. not, yeah. Well, the interesting thing too is like as soon as I started going to meetings and doing business is as myself, like I got the mansplaining, I got the being ignored. Right? I got oh. the, oh, it was <laughs> it was instantaneous. There was no it was the minute you start yeah. signing those emails as Amy, done. Done. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it going it happens a lot. Like I think even this year, you know, I was I was down in Virginia and I had some car issues on the way on the trip down. So I take the car into the shop and the guy starts explaining to me. He's like trying to explain brake, like why my car needs a brake job. I'm like, I get it. I hear the scraping metal. I understand that everything needs to be torqued back and recalibrate. Yeah, I, I, I've done brake jobs. I understand. I understand. Leave me Okay, ma'am. Yep, we'll get that done for Like, oh, it's God, just right? non. It's just nonstop mansplaining. So, well, when I worked uh, when I was working as a chef, it's a very and even as a tailor, it's a very male-dominated world. I I was actually laughed out of several tailor shops when I was looking for a job in London as a tailor. Mm. Uh, I got a lot of "When is your husband coming?" Oh my gosh! Oh yeah, it was a very interesting. It was actually that was the I think that was the first time I'd ever experienced it um that kind of clear cut I knew it had been in the background for a lot of my life but I'd never fully had someone like laugh me out of the old boys club before yeah that's make oh that's make sure when you measure you get up there and do the old uh, oh I did I actually had one I had I've had more than one customer be like oh why don't you do an inseam and I'm like because I don't need it I I can get an outseam like I I know what I'm doing and yeah. I don't want to accidentally touch you. Like that's yeah, not, no. that's not what I'm here for. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a whole nother type of business. So, well, Natalie, we've been talking for a while and this went like totally no direction. Yeah, we did not go went. anywhere. I'm sure you thought we would go. <laughs> but before we close out and I warned you at the beginning of this, so, you know, you get to turn the tables as you, as my guest and co-host this week. So, Ooh. so got one or two questions for me before we okay well so why don't we circle back what is your favorite type of wine my favorite type of wine if i didn't have to be so concerned with my blood sugar because i do have a history of type 2 diabetes um, in my family and even in my own personal medical history like i love a good sweet riesling oh right and and living close to niagara and up here in upstate new york that's that's a big big thing for us here um, but I also like a good French red. Like I really love my Cote de Rhone's if I yeah. can find a good one up here. Last question is, uh, so when we go on tour together, when we go on tour, I love, <laughs> I love the optimism there. I, I love the presumptive clothes coming from a sales back. I, I, yeah. When we go on tour together, when okay. we go on tour together, where, where do you want to open our tour? Like, should we open it somewhere crazy? Like try and get ourselves in at the Apollo or you want to do some like low key stuff? <laughs> I think, um, let's see. Well, that's a great question. No, I think we should meet in the middle someplace, um, either Minneapolis or Winnipeg. I, I vote Minneapolis. Winnipeg okay. is cold. I've lived in that rural Northern <laughs> Canada area, like Northern Alberta. It's cold, man. Let's go to Minneapolis. Yeah, well, Minneapolis is colder in the winter too. I, I that's that's that's. So what you're I, telling me is we're gonna start touring in like 
I think in we June. Start touring, yeah, start touring in the spring. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, Minneapolis, St. Paul's my hometown. Oh, okay. That's- yeah. We'll start in your hometown and then we can make it all the way up to my hometown in Edmonton. Yeah. There we go. And we got to work through Rochester and, you know, back we'll just to- circle both yeah. countries. Yeah, but you'll have the you'll have your you'll have your RV done and and you guys will have your school bus. Yep, that'll be yeah, good. That'll be good. You're gonna have to build that deck to hold three though. Maybe three. four. Who knows? Maybe I won't be single by then. Well, maybe <laughs> stranger things have happened. <laughs> well, you know we're cut. You know, even though you're lagging behind us a little bit here on the vaccinations in Canada, you know, maybe that dating scene will start to open up here for you pretty soon. Yeah. I have my first dose just waiting on my second. I know a couple people who have gotten their second. We are getting there. Canada is currently first for first doses in the world. And I think we're seventh, the last I read for fully vaccinated adults. Okay. So we definitely mucked it up in the beginning because they did not anticipate shipping in a Canadian winter, which I think was a the You read the stories about the trucks that ended up getting stalled in blizzards and just started vaccinating the cars behind them because they didn't want to let the doses go to waste. I'm like, yeah, I applaud that. Yeah, Good hey, job. Ingenuity. Yeah, right. We're getting there eventually. You're getting there. It'll open up. And so, yeah, when, when we're all on tour together and you know, doing our, doing our thing. Yeah. We'll make it happen. You can head down to that comedy commune down in Boston. There you go. Yeah. That's only like seven hours from here by car. So I actually looked that up how long it would be for me to drive down there. How long I would take me exactly one full day of driving to get all the way from here to new Orleans. And it has never been more tempting. Yeah. New Orleans is that that's a fun place. I've gotten in some trouble there before. Yeah. I just want to go everywhere. That's what I want in life. Well, we'll make it work. We'll figure it out. Exactly. We'll, we'll go on to tour. Get, we'll go on tour. I have to get Kyle over here for a couple of performances too. He would love that. Yeah. We just have to make sure we don't have any guns around him. That's all. <laughs> Noted. Well, I took up sword fighting. So we'll yeah. just do that. We'll carry swords. Carry swords. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to explain gun culture to Kyle is always a fun time. Trying to explain gun culture to the British is a different thing. And I'm like, yeah. In Canada, you have a weird mix of the exceptions of the British idea of gun culture and the American idea of gun culture. We've decided apparently to draw from both of them. Well, especially, you know, you, you have so much open territory out there, though. You yes. Have, you mean, yeah, I get it. Well, Natalie, should we call tonight? Yes. Well, Thank alrighty. you. This has been awesome. Yep. Well, so how we usually close this is like, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Natalie and everybody, good night. And you're going to say good night, too. So good night. Okay. Night. Night, night, night. Night. Maybe we should turn this off now. Okay. Bye. Bye. Night.